chapter number 40 of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arthur Piantadosi. Chapter 40. A strange interview, which is a sequel to the last chapter. The girl's life had been squandered in the streets and amongst the most noisome of the stools and dens of London. But there was something of the woman's original nature left in her still, when she heard a light step approaching the door opposite to that which, by which she had entered, and thought of the wide contrast with the small room what in another moment contained, she felt burdened with the sense of her own deep shame and shrunk as though she could scarcely bear the presence of her with whom she had sought this interview. But struggling with these utter feelings, pride, the vice of the lowest and most debased creatures no less than of the high and self-assured, the miserable companion of thieves and ruffians, the fallen outcast of homes, the associate of the scourings of jails and hulks, living within the shadow of the gallery itself, even this degraded being felt too proud to betray a feeble gleam of the womanly feeling which she thought a weakness, which alone connected her with the, that humanity, of which her late life had obliterated so many, many traces when a very child. She raised her eyes sufficiently to observe that the figure which presented itself was that of a slight and beautiful girl. Then, bending on the ground, she tossed her head with affected carelessness as she said, it's a right hard matter getting to see you, lady. If I take the offence and go away, as many don't, you'd have been sorry for it one day, and not without reason, not either. I'm very sorry if anyone has behaved harshly to you, replied Rose. Do not think of that. Tell me why you wish to see me. I am the person you inquired for. The kind tone of this answer, the sweet voice, the gentle manner, the absence of any accent of haughtiness or displeasure took the girl completely by surprise. She burst into tears. Oh, lady, lady, she said, clasping her hands rationally before her face. And there were more like you. There were few like me. There were. There were. Sit down, said Rosalind earnestly. Or if you are in poverty or affliction, I should be truly glad to relieve you if I can. I shall indeed. Sit down. Livingstone, lady, said the girl, still weeping. And do not speak to me so kindly. You know me, Beta. He's going late. Is, is that your shot? Yes, said Rose, recoiling your steps, as if to be nearer assistance in case you require it. Why? Because, said the girl. I'm about to put my life, you know, for always in your hands. I'm a girl dragging all of her back to Fagings on the night you went for, for the house in Pentonville. You, said Rose merely. I, lady, replied the girl. I'm the infamous creature you ever heard of. It lives among thieves, and it never from the first moment I can recollect my eyes and senses operating along the streets and known any better life. All kind of words and they had given me. So help me God. Do not mind stripping openly from me, girl lady. I'm hoping that you would think. Don't look at me. 
I'm well used to it. The poorest woman fall back as I make my way crawling the crowded pavement. What dreadful things are these? said Rose, involuntarily falling from a strange companion. Thank heaven upon your knees, my dear lady, cried the girl. That you had friends to care for and keep you in childhood, and that you never in the midst of cold and hunger and riot and drunkenness and 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 something worse than all as I have been from the cry cradle. I may use a word for Ali and the gutter were mine, as they will be my deathbed. I pity you, said Rose in a broken voice. It wrings my heart to hear you. Heaven bless you for your goodness, rejoined the girl. If you knew what I am sometimes, you would pity me indeed. But I have stolen away from those who would only murder me if they knew I had been here. I tell you what I heard. You know a man made mocks. No, said Rose. He knows you, replied the girl. And he knew you were here. But it was by hearing him tell the place that I found you out. I never heard the name, said Rose. And he go by some other among the stars, rejoined the girl, which I more than thought before, some time ago, and soon after Oliver were put in your house on a night of the robbery, I expecting this man letting a conversation held between him and Fagin in the dark. I found out when I heard that Monks, man I asked you about, you know. Yes, Rose, I understand. That Monks, said the girl, had seen him accidentally with both our boys on the day we first lost him, and known him directly to be the same child we were watching for, though I couldn't make out why. Barney was struck with fagging. If Owen was got back, he should have a certain sum. And he was have more for making him a thief, which his monks wanted for some purpose of his own. For what purpose? asked Rose. He caught some my shadow on walls, I listened in the hope of finding out, said the girl. And there are not many people besides me that could have got out their way in time to escape his scullery. But I did, and I saw him no more than last night. And what occurred then? I'll tell you, lady. Last night he came again. Again they went upstairs, and I wrapped myself up so my shadow would not betray me. Again listening at the door. The first words I heard monks say were these. So the only proof of the boy's identity lie at the bottom of the river and the old hag that received them from his mother was roasting in the coffin. Then they laughed and talked of his succession doing this and monks talking all about the boy and getting very wild as he thought he had got the young devil's money safely now. He rather had it the other way. For what game it would have been that would have brought a boat and the boat to the boar's wheel by driving through every jail in town, and he haul him up for some capital felony with Fagin could easily manage, after they made a good profit of him besides. What is all this? said Rose. A true lady, though it comes from my lips, 
replied the girl. And he said, but oh, commonly not my ears, but strange yours, that if he could gratify his hatred by taking a boy alive without tearing his own neck nature, he would. But as he couldn't, he'd be on the watch meet him at every turn in life. And if he took advantage of his birth in history, he might help me yet. He's your faking, he says. Jew as you are, you never laid such snares as all contrived for my young brother, Oliver. His brother, exclaimed Rose. Those were his words, said Nancy, glancing easily around, as if she scarcely ceased to do. Since she had began to speak, for a vision of Sykes haunted her perpetually. And more... We spoke of you and the old lady and said it seemed contrived by heaven or a devil against him that all of us should come in your hands. He laughed and said there was some comfort now too for how many thousands and hundreds of thousands of pounds would you not give if you had them and though your two-legged spaniel was. You do not mean, said Rose, turning very pale, to tell me that this was said in earnest. He spoke in ardent and angry earnest, if a man ever did, replied the girl, shaking her head. He is an honest young man with his hatred is up. I know many who do worse things, but I'd rather listen to him all a dozen times than that monks once. He throw it late, and I have to reach home without suspicion of having been on such an errand as this. I must get back quickly. But what can I do? said Rose. To what use can I turn this communication without you back? Why do you wish to return to companions that paint in such terrible colours? If you repeat this information to a gentleman who I may summon in an instant from the next room, you can consign to some place of safety without half an hour's delay. I wish to go back, said the girl. I must go back, because how can I tell such things to an innocent lady like you? "'Because among the men I told you of, there is one most desperate among them all that I can't leave. "'No, not even if it be saved from the life, I am leaving now.' "'You haven't interfered in this dear boy's behalf before,' said Rose. "'You're coming here, and so great risk to tell me what you've heard. "'Your manner, which convinces me of the truth of what you say, your evident contrition, "'and your sense of shame, all leading me to believe that you might yet be redeemed.' Oh, said the ears girl, folding her hands as the tears coursed down her face, do not turn a deaf ear to the untreaties of one of your own sex. The first, the first that you believe, whoever appealed to you in the voice of pity and compassion, do hear my words, and let me save you yet for better things. Lady, cried the girl, sinking on her knees, dear sweet lady, you are the first that ever blessed me such words as these, if I heard them years ago. They might have turned me from a life of sin and sorrow, but it was too late. It is too late. It is never too late, said Rose, but tenitence and atonement. It is, cried the girl, writhing in agony of her mind. I cannot leave him now. I could not be his death. Why should you be? She asked Rose. No one could save him, cried the girl. 
If I told others what I don't tell you, and let that thing take him, he would surely die. He is the boldest. It has been so cruel. Is it possible? cried Groves. That for such a man as this, you can assign every future hope and the certainty of immediate rescue. It is madness. I don't know what it is, answered the girl. I only know it is so, and not with me alone, but with hundreds of others as bad and wretched as myself. I must go back. Whether it is God's wrath for the wrong I had done, I do not know. But I am drawn back to him through every suffering and usage, and I should be, I believe, if I knew I was to die by his hand at last. What am I to do? said Rose. I should not like you to laugh from me thus. You sure, lady, and you know you will, rejoined the girl, rising. You may not stop my going because I trust in your goodness, and for no promise from you, as I might have done. But what do you think is the communication you have made? said Rose. This mystery must be investigated, or how will its disclosure to me benefit Oliver, whom you are anxious to serve? You must have some kind gentleman about you that will hear it as secret, advise you what to do, rejoined the girl. But where can I find you again when it is necessary? said asked Rose. I do not seek to know where these dreadful people live, but where will you be walking or passing at any settled period from this time? Will you promise me that you will wear my secret exactly kept and come alone, and with the only other person that knows it, and that I shall not be watched or followed? asked the girl. I promise you solemnly, answered Rose. I race all night, night from eleven till the clock strikes twelve, said the girl without hesitation. I'll rock on wrong and bridge if I'm alive. Stay another moment, interposed Rose as the girl hurried towards the door. Think once again on your own condition and the opportunity you have of escaping it. You have a claim on me, not only as the voluntary bearer of this intelligence, but as a woman lost almost beyond redemption. Will you return this gang of robbers into this man? What a word can save you? What fascination is it that you can take you back and make you cling to wickedness and misery? Oh, is there no cold in your heart that I can touch? Is there nothing left to which I can appeal against this terrible infatuation? My ladies are as young and good and beautiful as you are, replied the girl steadily. It where your heart's love will carry you all lengths. Even such as you, with old friends, other admirers, everything. I feel them, when such as I, have no certain roof but a coffin lid, and a friend is sickness or death by hospital nurse, act a rotten house on any man, and let him feel the place that has been a blank thought through all our wretched lives. Who can help but to cure us? Pity us, lady. Pity us for having only one feeling of the woman left, and for having that turned by a heavy judgment from comfort and pride into a new means of violence and suffering. You will, said Rose, after a pause, take some money from me, which may enable you to live without dishonesty. 
at all events until we meet again. Nor a penny, replied the girl, waving a hand. Do not close your heart against all our efforts to help you, said Rose, stepping gently forward. I wish to serve you indeed. You would serve me best, lady, replied the girl, wringing her hands. You could take my life at once, for I felt more grief to think of what I am tonight than I ever did before, and I would be something not to die in the hell in which I lived. God bless you, sweet lady, and set as much happiness on your head as I brought shame on mine. Thus speaking, and sobbing aloud, the unhappy creature turned away, while Rose Maylie, overpowered by this extraordinary interview, which had more the semblance of a rapid dream than an actual occurrence, sank into a chair and endeavoured to collect her wandering thoughts. Chapter 40 of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens and 